In association with the Omniverse Comics Guide, this is the Cave of Solitude, your pop culture and comic book podcast coming to you from all over the world. I'm your host, Eric Anthony, and this is episode 305. Boom. Here we go. Adam Chapman. Every time I see 616 on the clock, I think of you. So I start my uh, podcast with a, with a boom. <laughs> I very much appreciate that. That is one of my favorite things is that at 616, it, my, my, my kids are starting to understand that that's like a special time for daddy. And, <laughs> when, and one time Zach's like, why does it matter? And my wife's like, oh, because it's the prime. And then she caught herself. She's like, I hate you. Like, why do I know this? Why am I explaining it to a child? <laughs> because this is a thing that you do. So yeah, 616. My favorite time of day, uh, whenever it comes by, you usually send me a nice little text, and I always appreciate it. How have you been doing, Mr. Chapman? I am good. Um, I'm ex- I don't know if excited is the right word, but interested in this this conversation we're about to have. Because uh, it's interesting because if you look at the things we've talked about before, for the most part, we were talking about like a particular story or like something that was kind of held together narratively. Like when we looked at Green Lantern, we had the end of Hal and the beginning of Kyle, and we kind of sandwiched those together because that's naturally how they flow. But, you know, it felt like we were, you know, we had a a unit of entertainment that was relatively uniform uh, in and of itself. When we were doing The Flash, it was the same idea, like not just having Terminal Velocity, but the storyline that kind of built up to Terminal Velocity and introduced us to some of the characters that would matter there. So a lot of that kind of made sense. I think we've, have, what other book of the months have we done? We did uh, Spider-Man. Um, yes. And again, those kind of made, those were seminal stories. We did, you know, the, the first Harry Osborn as the Green Goblin, and we did the death of Gwen Stacy. So yes. those held together very well. And then when we're like trying to bandy about characters, you're like, let's do a Thor. Let's do an epic collection. And then when we when I was reading it and rereading it today, because I guess I read it a little while ago, I was like, why was this our choice? Because um, it, 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 it is fascinating, though, because we get the tail end. Yeah. Uh, a very well-known run. You know what it kind of like was like? It was, um, uh, oh, you know, what? I lost the words. It was kind of like the Green Lantern, though, because you get the end of one era. And whoever was writing it, and then Ron Mars comes on with Kyle. Yeah, I guess so. It just felt very discordant because Ron Mars did both, though. He he took apart Grant, you know, Hal, and put together Kyle. Yes, so it was the same guy. So here, I think what we got more was we got the tail end of a long running run with Ron Friends and Tom DeFalco on Thor, and in a lot of ways, it felt like a long running. Uh, TV show like a, or like a sitcom and we're jumping in at like season seven eight or nine and right at the end they start developing things that will spin off into its own book which is Thunderstrike and obviously Blood Axe becomes a huge aspect of that book and of you know that like the uh, connection to Eric as a character so it felt like we were in season seven to nine of a long-running show and getting ready for the spin-off but then we didn't get to enjoy the spin-off we then got this other thing which was so discordant with the rest so I feel like I loved everything up to like, I don't know, page 211, I think was very <laughs> solid, enjoyable stuff. And then everything after that, uh, the last little bit, I mean, the, the Thor core was fun too. Um, but everything between Thor core and, you know, the end of, um, of the run with uh, Ron and Tom was just, uh, I don't want to say train wreck. That sounds so mean. Um, it wasn't for me. Uh, that's my nice way of saying it. it I found it not enjoyable. <clears throat> I found it so disconnected 
from who the character had been. And I think that's more of the problem is that maybe in and of itself, it wouldn't have been bad. But I think when you have just, you had a very definitive voice for the, you know, four years previous and you had a certain direction and then immediately it gets upended, thrown out, you know, throw out that direction, go in a whole new one, which just doesn't feel like it's that character. That's oh, going to be a problem. It's, it's incredible. Like, I was I was thinking to myself, like if Adam Chapman likes this book, he's lying. <laughs> I said, why did I choose? So for the record, we didn't do that. Uh, it's I guess impolite on our part. It's this is the epic collection, the Mighty Thor number twenty, the final gauntlet, which collects the tail end of Tom DeFalco and Ron Friend's run on Thor was like what seven years it lasted and it's the also that they're tying up the the story and beginning the story of Eric Masterson as Thor into Thunderstrike so it's it's a pretty um important story in Thor lore because even with the recent movie Blood and Thunder or Love and Thunder sorry I'm thinking of the comic book (laughs) Love and Thunder there's a lot of sort of Eric Masterson-esque things in it yeah. right there's that little heavy metal look with the with the vest and you know there's little references to it there but so it's an important story in, in thor mythology but um it's also i think an example of how comic book mythology and publishing in a in a corporation like marvel or dc this is what happens to characters so it can become very i mean some people could take it seriously as as fairly enough when someone works on a book for seven years and they and they really give it direction and plant roots and then everything immediately becomes uprooted it's kind of why you can't really invest too much into comic book stories i feel like this is an example of like damn they really set the table for you to do something cool and then it just became like a saturday morning action cartoon yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I think it was uh, Jim Zub that I talked to about the idea of you know how to best use continuity in characters, and he's like, I don't mind. You know, I, I want people to use what I've added to the universe. He's like, it's really cool when people can use things that I've added because I added them into this universe, so that, you know they can be part of that ecosystem. But he's like, I also hope they don't just get punked or you know like you know killed and thrown away. And it's a it's a delicate line, and it's interesting because. As much as I do, and I haven't gone back and read it at all, I meant to read all of the Ron Friends, Tom DeFago stuff leading up to this volume. I just didn't have the time um, to, to kind of fully appreciate all of it. But what was so interesting about reading it through and really thinking about their run, because it is definitely seminal. It's very memorable. However, I wonder if it's more remembered for like how long and consistent it was in the telling this big story as opposed to individual issues. Yeah. Um, but although I think there are some that are stand out, like the first appearance of New Warriors, like there's definitely some individuals, but I think a lot of it's like this cohesive, long form narrative is kind of more important than the the individual issues. I feel like that's kind of true of Tom DeFalco on something like Spider Girl, on mm-hmm. uh, Fantastic Four. Like there's you know moments, and but his stuff is so good so consistently but i think it's more memorable because you have this long enjoyable run and usually he has a consistent artist so you have this full expressed you know artistic vision both writer and and uh, artist working together in concert and it becomes so memorable in your mind whereas if you were to think okay name me some of the biggest things about walt simonson's run i think it's much easier to kind of break that down and say well there's this there's that there's this there's that i don't know if it 
feels the same way as like as a whole does that make sense like there's something about the the pieces yeah i was gonna ask where does this rank amongst the thor runs because what i feel when i read um the falco and friends i feel like they're really doing uh i don't know if pastiche is the right word but they're really paying homage to lee and kirby but it's they've they've updated the the wardrobe to make it very of the time so when you read it you, you see the mullet you see the girls in workout outfits and some of the lingo and, and pop culture references very of its time but when it gets cosmic and you got like joe sinnett on inks over uh friends in the you know middle of the run and the majority of the run it feels like you don't know when this was made but that's kind of what's good about it is that it, it feels a little bit just classic thor without it being you know this big huge reveal it's just consistent story of him and hercules and him having a relationship with Eric Masterson and them bonding and you would get invested in the characters. And when I, whenever I would pick up one of the um, epics, because I read the whole series now, I can say I read everything in the epic collections. I would always be like, am I really reading this comic? And as I got through it, I'm like, that's actually quite fun. I, this is a really good team. They're almost kind of, maybe, maybe I'm off a bit, but Tom DeFalco maybe is like... Um, what Pete Tomasi is sometimes mm. he gets forgotten of how much value there is in his run because he's got a collaborator who they really work simpatico mm-hmm. but it's always the Snyder Capullo is like Court of Owls like well Batman and Robin was really good and oh, yeah. their Superman run was actually really good but it's not the talk of the town because it's not Batman yeah, you're not wrong. I think that there is interesting comparisons there. Yeah, because like I don't think the Falco gets nearly enough credit that he deserves for and for his long runs too. Like he's done very substantial runs on characters, and again, having consistency of artists really helps. Uh, he really writes to his artist strengths typically as well, which really helps him as a writer. Um, what I really <coughs> like about the Thor run, and even to a lesser extent the FF as well, he there he's so interested in building the world, like. There's so many characters. I mean, not as much in this particular volume because we're kind of at the, the tail end. But there are so many characters in and out of this Thor run, um, both like in real, like in in the real world, so to speak, when you have you know Code Blue. Like they were adding things that people could use. Unfortunately, not enough people really took up the baton, but they added a lot of elements to the world. And I feel like when I read a character like Thor, often it feels very small because it feels like his cast never gets too big, or it's very you know the typical gods, and you don't really. Captain America kind of suffers from this problem too. Is that you know for a long time Steve Rogers was like a person, not just the persona of Cap, but he had like an alternate identity that people didn't know he was Captain America. And you'd have characters that he actually interacted with, but unfortunately they just kind of fell by the wayside. And that's how I feel about a lot of the Eric Masterson characters. Like there's so many people in that world, and it's interesting. I want to know what's going on. There's there's mystery. Who's Blood Axe? Like there's so many elements here which are really enjoyable, which, again, do feel that they kind of get thrown away. Now, this is paying off a lot of stuff in this particular volume. You have the you know the search for you know Thor, uh, where his soul is, uh, and then finally kind of reclaiming Thor, um, kind of setting up Eric for his own book. Like, there's so much at play, and yet it never feels too busy. What I would say is a weird cho- – not a weird choice, but it's an interesting choice, is that you read an issue, and it's got 
it's pretty straightforward in what's going on not too many subplots but then you have like the backup tales of asgard which is almost like that's where they put the the, the other subplots but yeah. then when you go to the next issue sometimes you're picking up right from where the backup was from the previous issue so that i found an interesting technique i'm not sure if i liked it or not because usually backups stay to backups and if you continue that thread it'll be in the backup but here you have the backups you know just taking over the next the, the, the main brunt of the next issue and that's where i was like well why wasn't it just a subplot then like a subplot would have felt more organic to now take over the next issue as opposed do you know what i mean like and they kept doing that yeah and and it was one of those things when they started to do the subplot or the backup story in the issues i remember listening either it was on your podcast or curtis where ron friends was like i just couldn't keep up the schedule to fill all those pages so we came up with that idea which was kind of cool because it showcased another artist and tom defalco could really explore some other areas of asgard that they always found a way to tie it in because there's times i would read it and i was like oh i hate backups like it's just here to fill up pages right oh these these were important yeah and yeah and they turned out the more that you read them it's like this is actually i actually want to know what's happening in the post credit scenes essentially and I think when they got to the end of the book, um, it was the, the main plots were so intertwined at that point with the backup stories that they were pay, trying to pay off everything. And sometimes I think it suffered because you could really start to feel the real estate of space and time within the pages starting to run out. Mm. And it felt like things were getting a little bit rushed when they've really drawn it out for so long. But that's also a feature of the time. And my knock on those issues with the DeFalco friends was only that I pr- kind of was, it was predictable of, I bet she was Loki inside mm. of, like, because I feel anytime people get their chance to do a run on a character that has a certain rogue, a Joker, a Lex Luthor, whatever it is, a Doc Ock or a Goblin, they always bring them out for the big show. At some yeah. point, they want their shot to tell their story of that one, right? So with yeah. this one, you knew that Loki was going to be the big bad guy. It's not a bad thing. No, you just knew. I, I did think they they did it nice and slow. It was a nice slow reveal. Like I, I think at first, it's not completely obvious that that like that that something's wrong with Odin per se. That obviously there's something going on, but it's not clearly that like someone else is Odin. It's slow. It just feels, yeah, you're you know right. I mean? And then when it gets there, it's like oh well, obviously you know you're right. It's going to be Loki. But I also feel like it's it's done enough that and again. This is someone's first comic <laughs> back in the day, right? Yeah. Um, and it gave you kind of enough to kind of percolate and keep it moving. I think also we are coming at it from people who've read comics for 30 years. So the <clears throat> tropes are familiar. Um, whereas at the time, maybe there aren't a lot. You know, there were some people who had been reading comics for 30 years at that point, but maybe not a ton um, who were still reading Thor at that point. And so maybe they, you know, I, 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 your point is taken. That yes, ultimately, it's almost always going to be Loki. It's almost always going to be Red Skull if it's Captain America. Like there are certain, it's going to eventually be Man yeah. if it's you know Iron Man. Like those are true things. Um, but I thought they did it in an artful way, and it wasn't completely obvious. Um, I also like I had forgotten. Like I knew that there was that ridiculous bag with like Thor's face on it, which is just it just looks ludicrous, but it was you know whatever fun. I forgot that, you know, it was Odin inside. I completely forgot that that's what was there. Like, cause I feel like I'd read a bunch of the tie-ins or issues around this point and I was seeing that, that bag, but I always forgot what the resolution of it was. So it was nice to kind of get there again, naturally. Um, so I thought this was fun. It was interesting to pick up the volume though. I got to admit, 
some of these issues I actually read on Marvel Unlimited, which is an interesting experience to have, like, um, uh, they had some of the letters pages, et cetera. But when you open up that first issue and you have that kind of that take on the classic, you know, hammer swipe, but it's, you know, this new Blood Axe character, um, I was immediately surprised that we d- it wasn't Ron Friends to begin with. I, I was expecting, like, we'd have Ron Friends in this issue, uh, obviously just in the big 450th issue, and instead we have Gary Hartle doing layouts and Milgram and Yates doing finished art. And I think they did the first couple of issues in this volume. And I was like, where's my friends at? Like, I know he's coming. So that was in- interesting. And you talk about kind of the datedness. You have, you know, some of the costumes, pretty much any costume that Sif wear, wears here is, you know, a little, a little dated, a little bit weird. Um, but I also like that they just kind of go big and over the over the top kind of crazy with some of these costumes. You know, they don't give them standard human costumes. They go kind of nuts and give them, you know, kind of crazy Asgardian stuff. So I do appreciate that they kind of, they take a lot of chances with that kind of stuff. I, I find myself, uh, I said this to you once over text, but I think I'm just a sucker for Thor. I'll, I'll like, I want, I don't want to, but I want to just read Blood and Thunder just to say I read it. But um, <laughs> this was a, this was, I'm very fond of the Friends and the Falco run, um, just because of like that consistency of, like it's just, it's a pleasurable read. It's not mm-hmm. groundbreaking. It's not, you know, it doesn't get it's, enough credit for its consistency. It's good comics. Like yeah. again, like if I'm, I'm going to jump ahead, but like issue four fifty four, you know, you start with you know, um, you know, people are. are this guy's riding through the streets on like a horse and you have um, Enchantress going in, into the, you know, wherever she has Heimdall stashed and they're talking about trying to recuperate him. And I'm like, this, this, this is world building. Like, there's stuff going on. Uh, characters yeah. are having other thoughts and, you know, things, there's so many subplots. And I really appreciate that because it felt like it wasn't just about, you know, Eric. That being said, I love Eric. I think Eric is a fascinating character. Not just you, I love you too. <laughs> I was going to um, say, I like him too. He's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but there's just something about Eric Masterson I've always appreciated. And I know a lot of people give flack for the, you know, the Thunderstrike look, but I actually think it's a sweet look. I, I've always thought it looked cool and fun and yeah, maybe a little 90s, but like, who cares? Um, I also always loved, uh, and it's probably because I was getting the trading cards in the early 90s, so this would have been the Thor I saw. But I always loved um, how the Eric Masterson Thor had the helmet, but also that kind of the, the mask piece, like the piece yeah. of the eyes. Yeah, I don't know cool. why, but especially the way that Ron draws it, it looks awesome, like consistently. And again, with the beard, like when they bring back regular Thor, I'm like, man, he looks cooler with a beard. Like, you know, he needs, I did like, is just one of those classic, like, did it need to be there? No, but it's kind of a fun moment, mo- moments where uh, Eric Masterson is finally back on Earth and he shaves his face and then he has to go, you know, turn into Thor again. He's like, oh, damn it, I have the beard again. <laughs> there is no need for that at all, but that's a nice little character piece that I liked. Yeah. Like, no. it didn't add anything. It didn't mean anything, but I loved it. <laughs> No, I, I um, it's true. It's got a charm to it. It's got a, a classic comic book feel charm. It's it's a pleasant read. Uh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna do anything to make you go, oh, I can't believe they did. Like it's that's I feel from doing from what Walt Simonson did, and that's a tough act to follow for anybody. Like mm. anybody who writes Thor, doesn't matter how good their run is, it'll always be compared to that. And when yeah. you follow it immediately. Um, it's tough, and they and they did it for seven years. Especially, they've often said both on our podcast. Let's name drop a little, Adam. <laughs> um, 
that both on our podcast they they did say that it wasn't their natural strength to write cosmic characters it's something they really really had to learn and you you can see as the run goes on it's like well they found a way to make this work and and i think to your point before um what's fun about these comic book writers is the especially of this era is the touch they all bring to each character so you've got guys who like a um you know roger stern was creating a lot of new characters and building mystery around it but then Tom DeFalco does a lot of character work like he makes their world expand and then a J.M. DeMatteis who would follow would get into the psyche a little bit like they add all of these little elements themselves but you're right Tom DeFalco really made you look at the soap opera feel of and over here and then while at the office now he's got this problem very small touches but just enough to keep you hooked in like one of those 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 good old fashioned television shows that you kind of become married to, but it's fun. It's like ah, I know what I'm getting. So, but that that that's part of what makes it so much harder when reading a volume like this when it's over. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. Like you get yeah. this be- beautiful ending, um, which sets up Thunderstrike for his own series. And like it's interesting because it, you get two endings to the book, right? Like you get the the Thor. You know, going off into the this, mm-hmm. the, this, the last issue that Ron and Tom did together, you have Thor kind of rising into the heavens and this kind of t- t- you know climactic moment, and then the next page you have Eric kind of sitting there and be like, they wouldn't do this to me again, would they? And you know, he hits his his uh, his staff on the ground and he, and he becomes you know looks like Thor again. He looks at it, so it's not a hammer, it's a, it's a mace, and he's like, you know, I swear I'm gonna you know I'm gonna make you proud, and that's the lead into Thunderstrike. And I was like. Give me a Thunderstrike book now. Like they've only ever collected, I think, the first eight issues in trade. I wish they would have put the Thunderstrike in here. Well, it wouldn't have fit. It wouldn't have made sense. Like you know what I mean? Like it's too disconnected in terms of what the Thor narrative was. I guess. But but it is weird that you you know the star of this book up until that point has been Eric, not Thor. Um, it's been Eric as Thor, and so now we say goodbye to Eric, and he's in a book that will hopefully someday finally be collected. Again, the first eight or so issues I think have been collected, but never the whole run. It's only 25 issues. So that's, you know, a little bit too much for an epic, but maybe not if you, you know, if you, you know, if you, I don't know what you do. I don't know how you make it two or somehow fit it in one. I don't know, but, um, they'll make it an know. omnibus with, with Thor corpse in it. I would buy that, you know, well, partially because I would feel like it would never be done elsewhere. So I'd be like, I got to do this. Um, although that happened with Thunderbolts and now we're getting Thunderbolts epics. And I, I rue the day every day. Um, but yeah, it's just so sad to see say goodbye to Eric, and then we get Thor back, and that should be a happy thing. Instead, I don't know what like I like Ron Mars a lot. He's a writer I like, and yet his Thor is so not what I was looking for. It's not Thor. At it doesn't all. feel like anything. Like he's so weak willed. He's just kind of being you know traipsed around and fighting people he immediately breaks up with sif and it was so lazy like the the way that they completely poo-pooed everything that was set up for them like i i feel having definitely goes cosmic i mean if you want big grandiose and cosmic i love that part that that was the part where i was (laughs) bruce zick's art was something to try to make sense of (laughs) and i don't mean to be disparaging because i'm i've seen some of his stuff recently and it's beautiful but I don't know what part of his career. And then this is the other thing too: is that Tom DeFalco, he wasn't editing the book, but he was editor of who goes on to books as well, right? Like he could still oversee. Like, hey, I don't like what they're doing. I mean, in theory, yes, but you got to remember, like, how many 
how, how much is going on at Marvel this time? And the, I get the it. massive explosion that, you know, That's at, what and, I was gonna and say. also he's, he's writing Thunderstrike. Like maybe he just, did, you know, it's like, oh, you know, do your own thing. Like he's probably encouraging, to be honest. Like they were trying something. I it get just it. Was, was, it felt so disconnected. But there was to nothing the to be invested in anymore. They gave you no. they gave you something to be invested in now with this relationship, and I felt like with Starlin, which I don't think he was really a part of the writing on this. I think his name is there to maybe help sell the book. Yeah, because he was doing Infinity Crusade, and there might have been like plot points to help push that story. But I felt like maybe there could have been a different way for Thor to realize that he can't be married, or for it to break instead of it just being so sudden and he's so angry and he's so foolish and it's just like wow he's really out of character now he just proved himself worthy of the hammer in the last the last couple issues and now it just feels like i wouldn't give this guy anything like he's so off his rocker and plus this is a weird point of marvel and i wish that the epics had maybe handled this better is that there's so many things here where Go read this other book. Go read that other book, and that's fine. That's of the time. There was a lot of crossovers and bleed going on, but I would appreciate a small text page or something. Like you have a page where Sif disappears, and she's like, uh, "Once there, I hope I I place my hope in the hands of a mortal." Eric Masterson, go to Thunderstrike, and I'm like, I would love to know what happened there. Yeah, you know, like ca- characters are just characters from this world are disappearing, or they're going into Silver Surfer or other books. And we're not really getting any real explanation, and there's not a lot of reference to it. And it's just like, why? Why are you doing this? Like it's, uh, it's it, it makes it difficult to read it collected like this. And again, some of these characters are just all over the place. I don't know what version of any Valkyrie this this was, but it was messy. The whole thing was a mess. Yeah, it was. It made no sense from like it was so jarring that I also understood like this is how people drop books. Because it's no longer that character that they've been reading. If they had been reading, like, what was the numbers on Thor while the Falco and friends were on it? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, I thought you would know all of those conversations you had with your basically your adoptive father. Yes. Well, I mean, I don't know if we talked about sales figures, but they were on it long enough that nothing was changing, and I don't know if that's because. Tom DeFalco was the editor-in-chief that he could kind of say, like, don't worry, our jobs are safe. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is the bottom line, as they say, right? So it was it was uh, interesting that they – what did you think of how they formatted these books to, to be mapped like this? They know that ahead of time, but I feel like – is it a way to see if people will just want to collect the next one because they're stuck with half of something? Um, Because I feel I- they could have mapped it in a way where – you could have had an epic end with Thor. I feel Force. like they probably weren't. I, you know what? They probably. I mean, I don't know if they went that deep into it, but you got to think as well. Like they put um, the Thor core where they had to because it was it had to take place after where Thor was at that point, um, the chronology. Because there's some reference points, right? And that's still Tom. So I mean, I think it would have been weird no matter what. Even if you had an end with Tom's run, you would have had something by Tom in the next yeah, volume guess. anyway. Yeah. So I, I don't think there were a lot of options here. Um, it's just unfortunate that, you know, and then maybe someone, you know, that was their first Thor comic and they really love it. And I hope they do. I hope they get to, you know, pick up this, this epic. But, uh, you know, as it's just so disconnected and such a whiplash from the previous creative team that I found it very challenging to read. I also found 
to better or for worse, at least it was a quick read because I found it was so light. Yeah, um, yeah, that part yeah. starts moving. I'll be honest with you, confession. Yeah. I didn't finish it. No? I just went through and looked at the pictures at that point. I said, this is crazy. This is nonsense. I can't get through this. I was like, I'm just not, I'm not invested and I really don't care what happens to Thor at this point, unfortunately. Mm. And I always wanted to read Blood and Thunder because it's a Thanos, uh, Silver Surfer, Warlock, Thor, like all characters that I love. So I feel like I want to read that, but everyone says it's a complete waste of time. Mm. And if it's anything like what was in this book, it's just like, the art was, you know, what's funny is that Zick's art when it was ships and monsters and those type of things i liked it but his yeah. figures were like a little stiff mm. did you and, no, I, I agree and they went with the big guns right away it was like they were leaving it was i felt like they were shooting for the fence way too fast by throwing in the beta ray bill fight like it's so immediate where they're just going for all of the big moments yeah, and I'm like, I don't know if it's just to break away from what had people had been reading before and really put them in like a shock value of reading, where mm-hmm. it's just action. It's like two toys fighting in the next couple <laughs> issues with a little bit of a plot, but not yeah. much. It's just fighting the next. Uh, what's it called? The freak of the week. Yeah. So it's interesting. So looking at Comicron's data, uh, I have to kind of go by kind of months so i have to kind of jump around but it looks like um when thor was at issue 445 it was you know number 30 on the chart um so the you know of the top books so i'm trying to find out if i jump forward a, a year just kind of see where we're at uh the books we're talking about today um to see if it kind of dropped from that level let me just see here because yeah i i had no idea what the kind of sales were like at the time because it, it, it started to feel that they were letting somebody cut their teeth on a book. Mm. And, you know, usually when they do that, it's because the book is, is floundering. Like, see what you can do with it. True. So it was like, how did they go from being so focused on a particular plot and world and characters? And, you know, not only Eric Masterson, but the, the people he worked with, his son, his friends, all of these things that were set up. And now it was, boom, none of them matter. Mm-hmm. It felt very empty. Looks like, so I, I'd have to go check, but it looks like it was kind of dropping rapidly. By issue 463, it was like 83 on the list in terms of, you know, top books. So it was in the top 50, uh, you know, about a year and a half earlier. And now it's dropped to almost the, you know, the bottom end of the 100. Yeah, so interest, I guess, was waning. Maybe because of maybe because Thor was no longer there. Maybe, I don't know. Well, right. it's interesting. So... Issue 467, which is what the last issue that we read in this volume, uh, which would have come out, let's see, August 1993, so, you know, 19 years ago. Um, so Thor was 101, 101 on the list of the top books. Thor Core was 103 uh, with issue two. Uh, and the big one, actually, let's see how Thunderstrike was doing. Thunderstrike was issue, oh, was, well, this isn't really fair. It's issue one of Thunderstrike. Uh, was number 33 that month. Yeah. So really, really high. Now, part of that's because it's the number one, let's be fair. Um, but still, a, a pretty, you know, pretty large disconnect. So interesting how maybe people weren't interested in Thor as Eric Masterson, but they wanted to 
keep up with this character that clearly they've invested something in to keep him around. Mm-hmm. Right? So this could this character could do you ever think he'll turn up in anything multimedia? Who Thunderstrike? Yeah. I don't think so. Why not? Uh I mean maybe it's the multiverse thing, but like I think it's his 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 story's too complex, to be honest. Like we've never really gotten, you know, Donald Blake you know, proper besides like a name drop in the first Thor movie, but like that, that origin, I don't think we're ever going to see it. And it's the Ma- Masterson was kind of a, a spin on that. And again, we don't even have Odin in the prime universe. Like, I don't know how you in media would do that. It's so involved. Um, that's hard to kind of get to Eric Masterson as a character. Um, if you, if you do it right. Um, and again, by doing it right, I think he has to beat Thor first and not, go right to Thunderstrike, because otherwise you kind of miss developments of the character that makes him worthy enough to even be his own hero. Um, He's a, I don't know, he's an interesting character. I am a big fan of Thunderstrike 2, um, which is Kevin Thunderstrike from the MC2 universe. I've always been a fan of that character. Uh, He's always been very special to me. So, um, and that character's running around, at least in the Marvel universe. Like, there's the MC2 version, which is the one I like. And then there was, they kind of finally got to bring him into the core universe as you know, a, a version of Thunderstrike who's, I guess, still operating or still, you know, around once in a while when people remember that he's active. Um, so at least he, you know, he exists and keeps that Masterson name moving forward. In a lot of ways, I'm actually surprised they never kind of went back and brought Eric back. Um, but they've left him dead. And that's probably, you know, for better or for worse. I mean, people love that character, but people also love Tom and Ron doing that character. I don't think they want to see anyone else doing it. That's true. It is very much a beloved character that I think people want to keep in amber in a way like the people who worked on it that just leave it be um would you recommend this epic collection of the mighty thor <laughs> i mean the first little bit of it yeah i mean it's a good ending to a very solid run like it feels yeah. like it pays off on a lot of subplots it doesn't forget how you know eric took over the book for a while but it doesn't forget Thor and it comes back to Thor, but also still pays respect to Eric and spins him out on his own direction. I think you can tell that Ron and Tom are really enjoying Eric's story and that really love that character and means a lot to them as creators. It was that, a, you know, a feel good ending. This... Pardon me? It was a feel good ending. Like you, everything wrapped up in a way where you were happy where the characters left off. And well, you it's, were... it's funny. It's, it's kind of like the opposite of Ed Brubaker and Brian Michael Bendis when they had their various runs on Daredevil because they left the incoming writer with one hell of a knot to you know, undo and said, so like, good luck with that. Like, I think Bendis left him in prison. I think Brubaker left him like, oh, he's going to be in charge of the hand now. And it's kind of like, what? Like, if you're the next writer, now you have to deal with this. They gave you, in one way, some really good storytelling opportunities, but also, like, you kind of, you're, you're starting in a, in a weird spot. You got to work your way out of it. Whereas Tom you know, wrapped it up that you could go any direction you wanted. Um, unfortunately, they chose the one they did. Um, you know, and it's sad because, you know, this begins a real decline in the character that culminates with him being ejected into the Heroes Reborn, yeah. which, to be honest, was probably the best thing that ever happened to the character because when he came back, he got one of the most beloved, you know, modern runs of the character. Not even modern now, it's over 25 years. But the Dan Jurgens run is very well remembered and people really enjoy it. And you would not have that if he didn't get taken off the board for a year and he didn't have his book for a year. And I think feel that way about most of those characters who went through Heroes Reborn is that Heroes Reborn was this rough thing that happened to them. They were shunted away. Um, the books were of varying quality. Some were, you know, not great. 
some were worse than that. Uh, it was just a weird time. But they all come back, and almost all of them have very memorable heroes return runs that people like. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, like being going away for a while and then coming and having the image guys work on them and then coming back was the best thing that happened to the mainline Marvel Universe characters. It would not have felt that way when you saw those characters being shipped off at the time. But if you look at those Heroes Return books, you got Dan Jurgens on Thor. You got Mark Wade coming back to Captain America. That's a bit of a cheat because he was on it before. It ended. Yeah, but, but it's still a not. He, he's like on you it said. with Ron Garney and then he has Andy Kubert on it. And so that runs amazing. Fantastic Four is maybe the runs of the litter in some ways because I don't think it's as well remembered. But Lobdell comes in with um, uh, Roca, and then Claremont comes on. And for better or for worse, it's still an enjoyable run. It's definitely got its, its ups and downs. Iron Man is one of my favorite runs by Kurt Busiek and Sean Chen. And of course, Avengers, which is, you know, for many, maybe the holy yeah. grail of that period yeah. by George Perez. Thunderstrike during that time. I'm oh, sorry, uh, Thunderbolts. Thunderbolts. Thunderbolts, yeah. But it I mean, just the characters that came off the board. Yeah. Finally, it was cool to like the you know regular Marvel heroes again that weren't a Spider character yeah. or wasn't you know, or an wasn't X-Men. an X character. Yeah. Suddenly, the regular Marvel universe was cool again. Now, other people could say that's not really true until Bendis you know puts the biggest mo- most popular characters on the Avengers and some of the Avengers Avengers becomes the biggest franchise in comics. But you had finally the Marvel heroes had respect again. What's so, interesting though is that the Bendis run is so well remembered because they started to get a direction but when people look back at that 50-60 issue run of Busick and Perez with artists afterwards those are always ranked highest in the greatest Avengers story like when you look 100%. at top 10s well, you get a lot Bendis more of this, those Bendis had a similar but different problem that we were just talking about with uh, DeFalco on Thor is that you know DeFalco's run is remember because it's so long and consistent, right? And Bendis, for the most part, was a similar idea, but also his stories took forever to happen because it was at the real forefront of deconstruction comics, or I'm sorry, decompressed comics. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's really gone back now, and you get more, more, you know, more creators are trying to actually tell full stories and issues. Not everyone. I mean, some of them are like Tom King, and you get like you know half a chapter of a story instead of getting a full story uh, in, in an actual issue. But there's people like Jim Zub who really give you your money's worth and like you came for an issue of comics i'm going to entertain you today and not just give you three minutes you can flip through um bendis was in that period where you know you were starting to elongate storylines and have you know what used to be one issue is suddenly six uh for better or for worse and at the time i think i was into it i think a lot of people were because it was so different at the time yeah i think eventually people could kind of look back and look at his avengers run and say how many stories did we actually get like we got 60 issues in that first new Avengers run maybe but like how many actual stories yeah. beginning to end no, did we get very little just reading just reading that um, last two volumes of the Avengers Assemble big the complete collections the mm. amount of story that you get in there yeah there's there's a jumble of artists that's true but you get so much happening with all of the plot lines that they had going on you can't believe that you're on this ride Mm-hmm. You you definitely and that's why it feels like such so much longer of a run because there's so much story packed into it. Where sure. when well, I subplots don't aren't popular anymore because no. subplots don't work well in trade. You know they just don't because if you're reading six issues or four or five issues at a yeah, time, that's true. Sub, subplots aren't going to work, and plus people, you know, there was a longevity to comics. People were on books forever. And I think that's part of the thing. I think that's part of the reason why I enjoy comics of a bygone era because I do like the subplots. I do like the 
the it's length. not because we're old men it could be because of that but maybe it's it's i appreciated me reading superman which kind of reminds me of this the falco and and friends run of thor mm-hmm. where they kind of it kind of reminds me of that Jerry Ordway, Dan Jurgens era of Superman, where they build a lot of the world around him, and it's good, consistent comics where he's moving, the characters moving forward in his relationships, and the world around him is building, and you're getting, um, oh, what was the, the mob that's intergang, and intergang, all yeah. like it became these threats that shouldn't really be a problem, but this is organized crime in Metropolis, and it was a cool way to expand. The, the things that would affect Clark and Superman. I'm on a Superman tangent, but it's that feeling of this isn't blowing people out of the water necessarily because of a huge event or this new character is revealed or this hot artist like Jim Lee is, is drawing the book now. It's just good. We, or it became weekly, but that month in, month out story, the character is moving. It's, and, and you don't get that anymore. And that's what I grew up reading in comics. So when I read those subplots that you come back to, I enjoy that experience as opposed to the just the – I like the quick hit trades. And, and you know, I did appreciate the part of this book that was like, well, it's fast moving and there isn't a ton of dialogue so I can get through this quick. But it was also <laughs> empty. It's like I don't even got to read this. Yeah, empty calories. To, to go back to your Superman tangent, like I remember maybe 10, 15 years ago, I finally kind of read most of like the Superman Blue stuff. And like there was a lot going on in that period, and there was Superman Red as well. But I found, again, like that kind of uh, the triangle era and, and all those books that were feeding into each other. I could imagine as a reader, it might have at times been frustrating to feel like you had to buy them all. But if you did read them all, you really did get this comprehensive view of Metropolis yeah. and all the different facets of Superman's world and his different characters. And, you know, at the best of times on Spider-Man, you would kind of get the same. You know, yes. when you had... Uh, like an actual identity to each book in terms of, you know, you had four different books, but they do different facets of Spider-Man's life. That's when those things work out the best. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and reading a lot of those Superman books in the kind of the 90s, it's what Brand New Day felt like with Spider-Man, where you had a, a weekly hit. And in this case, you know, you had consistent art creative teams on their particular books, which you did not have during the Brand New Day era because you just had a rotating uh, crew to begin with. But it, you did get this sense of like you're watching a TV show. And yeah. they're not always going to be written by the same person. So you're going to get different voices creeping in. Different characters are going to be highlighted in them. Um, but there was a consistency to it that was exciting. Um, and I love that stuff. I, I have always wondered why DC has been so hesitant about, you know, putting out comprehensive triangle era co- collections because people will that, flock to those. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a good call. Triangle I mean, if they collection. made those into like an epic collection of like Superman in the '90s, but like a complete, comprehensive, in you know, following the triangle order, people would buy those. I know they would. People have so much fond memories for that stuff. But yes, they don't. especially if they did those trades with the triangle as the number. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome, right? Like, it's such an interesting facet of comics, uh, of comics history, that that has become. A shorthand for a certain period of, of Superman comics, the Triangle period. Like it sounds ridiculous. Like if I said that to my wife, she'd be like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah. But I'm like, "But that's so intrinsic to the you know enjoying that period is that you had that little that little box and you knew where you were in the overall chronology and you never wondered where you were. Like the, when you have a character with that many books crossing back and forth, being able to be like, "Here's the chronology," brilliant, simple, and yet very effective and memorable. 
Yeah, and and that's why I I have a fondness even for that Exiles, Superman, Exiles, and other stories because Mm -hmm. it isn't just about him being exiled. There's a lot happening in Metropolis while he's away and and the world that he's going to come back to. And when he comes back to that world, you're in the know. And that's kind of the feeling that you get when you're reading this uh, Friends in the Falco run of Thor. You always are like, oh yeah, what's happening with these people now? And and how is this going to be a, a wrench in the day of these guys? Mm-hmm. Especially when, when Masterson... Because I was like, I don't care about Eric Masterson taking over as Thor. I hate when they do stuff like that. It was such a 90s thing to have someone else take over the main character. Like, but I found myself actually enjoying it. And it was, it was funny to see Thor with with the recognition of a person who's like, I'm completely out of my element, but it, it, he has to be the Thor. And, and, and when you, when Thor is sometimes used as an avatar and it's done well, it could be a lot of fun. For sure. Um, I did like that uh, in the first issue of Thor core, uh, it does show that it was conceived um, by Ron friends and Tom DeFalco, even though Ron wasn't like working on the book. Um, so I did like that. And again, it was, you know, very early Pat Olaf stuff, which I don't think I'd read before. Um, like I love Pat Olaf's work, but I, you know, I feel like I came to him late or later than this because I fell in love with him on Untold Tales of Spider Man, on Spider Girl. Um, so that's where I kind of first fell in love with Pat Olaf as an artist. So this is interesting to see a very early version of him. I wish he this... continued Thor, to be quite honest. That yeah, because his interesting his stuff was interesting because you could tell like the inker was. Ink, inked by Romeo Tangal, I feel like the inker added like a, a bit more of that kind of '90s flair because if you look at a lot of Pat Olaf stuff, it's very clean, very classic looking, kind of like Ron. So I feel like it was kind of '90s up a little bit um, by the inker, um, which I think was appropriate. And again, I think that would have been a better fit for Thor. I think um, so. To be honest, uh, it's it's such a weird book because yeah, yeah, you got this this sandwiching of two very different talents. Um, and it, it, if anything, it just makes you appreciate Tom DeFalco all the more. It's almost like you don't know how good it was until it's gone. Yeah. And I, again, going back to your point, there's something about the underrated consistency of his writing. Like it's it's not like overly like oh my god, this is the best writing on Thor ever. But in some ways, it is. But it's so it's so subtle. It's so yeah. nice and simple. And it's got you know it's it's a classic comic in terms of you know the narration, how the characters are speaking. There's a lot of thought bubbles. Like it just felt very comfortable. It felt like an old shoe, um, you know. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. No. Like, it's just something very nice about it. Going and back Ron's to it, work, it's comfortable. Yeah, and Ron's work is really nice. And again, I was invested in the characters. I want to know what's going to happen next. Um, and so, like, I couldn't put the book down because I was very interested, and I wanted to know where they go next. But at the same point. It always feels like each issue is a, is a separate unit of entertainment. Yeah. So, like, you have a beginning, middle, and an end. The ongoing arc is still going, but you always felt like you had an ending of some kind. Um, and I really appreciate that because I know modern comics, and they don't give me that. No. Um, so there's just something very special about a book like this in such a weird transitory period. Yeah, I, I, I would recommend this book if you want to complete the Ron Friends and the Falco run. You have to have it to complete it. But if it's your first Thor book to pick up, I do not recommend it. No. It would be rough. It would be very rough and jarring. And um, not necess- it's, not, it's not really the best part of the, the Falco and Friends run, even though it's the end. I like it. I like how it ends. 
but the meat is in the you know the the, the middle of it all. Yeah, I guess that's true. But there's something nice to the payoff here. It's a good payoff. It is. It's but it's it's one of those things where everything I hope happens happens. Yeah, no, right? that's fair. So it's um, it's crowd pleaser. It is a crowd pleaser. So looking forward to the next time we do a book of the month. Yeah. So it should not be something like this. No. It should not be an epic. It should be a. Sto- I mean, storylines are probably the best way to go. Yeah, I think you're right. More concise. Yes. If it is an epic, if it's a particular era that's maybe consistent, and we're not seeing such a juxtaposition of tones. Um, but yeah, it was very interesting just in prepping for this and being like, what are we going to talk about? Like, yeah. How, it, it's hard for me to because. I try to be overwhelmingly positive because there's so much negative out there. So I like being positive about things. That's why I said, you know, at one point that this wasn't for me once Ron left and Tom, Ron and Tom were gone. It wasn't a book that I was enjoying, but it doesn't make it necessarily bad. Um, I think if you hadn't read Tom and Ron's stuff, it would work better because I think it is just flies off in its own direction without really worrying about where the book had just been. Uh, so I said stylistically, it's a very, big departure from uh the cleaner aesthetic um of, of ron but it's not i i don't want to say it's bad i just want to say it wasn't for me i mean that's fair look it's i love jim starlin like, yeah. he's one of like, my ron, ron mars tried you know he was working on it like he was early oh yeah no don't get me career. wrong it, it's it's a it's not just ron mars or jim starlin the artwork is is amateurish for a character that's been drawn by friends and inked by you know some legends mm. before that so it's a tough act to follow but you got to put the right cast on a book and it didn't work like it wasn't a good era of thor i mean it may sound mean this is the thing i like seeing reviews for every book that i want to look up i love when a book that i think nobody has a review for has like a pretty deep review for i'm like that's great that someone actually read this because there is a nerd like me who wants to know if the final gauntlet is a worthy thing to buy because these are they are available and sometimes you can find these for really cheap if you go to you know some secondhand bookstores or places that have them for uh, from a fire sale Mm-hmm. For twenty bucks, that's how I bought. That's why I bought this for. I bought it for twenty bucks. I said you can't go oh, wrong. I'm so bitter at you. I paid like forty, fifty bucks. But I would have. I, I almost did because I was gonna get this to complete the run. I just waited a little bit and got lucky. But it's a tough read. In fairness, you, you can't read the whole thing. You can read half no. of it, and the next half is like it's a whole new era of Thor, which I'm. Uh, what's the word? Masochistically interested in just because i'm a jim starlin sucker but i don't yeah. like so far where it's going no but you're right this doesn't feel like it's starlin per se no it's, i don't think it's so like he, his hand was on the wheel but barely and and infinity crusade is is the weakest of the infinities that's like the godfather three of the infinity sagas yeah i don't i don't really remember it at all so i, I would agree with that so I guess the question is, moving forward, what do we do next? And we always kind of do this on air, and I don't always know if that's the best idea. Um, but I'm curious. Like, I mean, we've done – I know we've talked about doing non-Marvel, non-DC. I think the problem is that we don't have a lot of crossover in some of our kind of um, more uh, you know, non-Big 2 publishers. So I do think we should swing back on DC for at least one more. But is there something in particular that you would like to revisit that's on your shelf that maybe you haven't given enough love to recently? or Enough you wanna... love to? Huh. 
It's either that or I was going to say, do you have any of the Marvel color books? Because I would do any of those in a heartbeat. Coloring books? Color. Uh, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have them all. You have them all? I have them all. Yeah, yeah. I love even Captain America White. I think I did all of those books with my wife. Oh, did Um, you really? Yeah, I think they were some of the first book of the month clubs, like way back in the day. We could revisit though, but I yeah, I definitely have episodes for all of those. Um, that's not a bad idea. Should we put it up as a vote on like Instagram or something? Oh my god, that sounds too modern for me. (laughs) We could do it, or do you want to do it on the air? We shouldn't do the color books. If you've already done them, I don't want to. I don't want to do something you've done before. So the characters we've done so far. We've done Spider-Man, Flash, Green Lantern, Thor, all in the 90s. Do you want to – did we do an 80s? Did we do anything in the 80s? Spider-Man oh, was actually the Spider-Man 70s. Spider-Man we did in the 70s. Okay. So everything's been in the 90s. Let's do eight, something from the 80s. Or do you want to do the 2000s? Ooh. No, let's go, let's go 80s. Let's go the, the year the, – you know, the, the decade we were born. Okay. Uh, should we do something classic or something more on the – like uh maybe like cult classic yeah well like i i mean when it comes to marvel and dc like at least for me now i have the benefit of being able to be a little bit more broad because i have dc infinite and i have uh, marvel unlimited so i can read things that i don't necessarily have on my shelf which i couldn't do before a one storyline thing or like a well it depends i mean okay. i hope you're not going to give me 60 issues to read no 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 I mean, I know it doesn't fit the 80s, but, like, if you made me read 40 issues of Gotham Central, I would do it again. Yeah. Can you see it I, on the shelf? I can see it on the shelf. Um, why don't we do uh, one of those, like, a, one of those deluxe edition collected formats? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Oh, um, also not what I'm saying I want to do right now, but someday I, I would do... Like, I don't know how you'd want to do it. I would totally do like a... I would almost do a podcast just talking about 52. I love 52. I love that series. I, I, we, I could reread that. I, I've only read the first 25 issues. What? You've yeah. never finished it? Never finished oh it. Oh, my God. We could do that. Where's your geek cred? Well, I mean, that that is a big ask. That's that's a lot. Well, we could do it in two parts. <laughs> only two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a lot of stuff. Okay, okay, like okay, here, okay, okay, okay. Here, Adam, I want you to read 26 issues by next month. All yeah. right, thanks. Thanks for the homework. <laughs> um, would you want to do a Batman run and break it down and do trades each month for a while? Or is that too much that? Batman? What, what, anything in particular? Any type of Batman you're thinking in particular? We could do the Tom. Well, it's not 80s. It would be Tom King no, no, Batman. No. Gotta, gotta give me some 80s okay, love. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, this is the part that's like so boring for people listening at home. Like, man, these guys really people are shouting. No, people are shouting at us. <laughs> Dave Molyneux is like, come on, Eric, get yeah, it together. He's probably not listening. <laughs> uh, we could do we could do year one. That's 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 too. Everyone's done that. Can you throw some ideas out there, smartass? <laughs> Well, it's easy for me to do anything DC, though, right? Because as I said, a lot of stuff that's already been collected has been is on DC um, Infinite. So I find like it should be something that's on your shelf. Otherwise, it's going to be difficult for you to do. Just trying to think. What Throw other... some things out there. Throw some things out there, Adam. Well, okay. I, mean, I know you love it. We could do Longbow Hunters. Yeah, we could do that. 
I mean, I know you're a big fan. Or have you read any of the question yet? No, I'll be honest. I wasn't too crazy about it. Did I give it to you? You, I have your set. Yeah. I was like, I, I don't even know where mine is. Oh, it's it's with you. I have it. Yes. That's why I have more room in that part of the shelf than I used to. <laughs> uh, okay. How about a death in the family? It's too big. It's, it has to be. I want something like you know less less common. When we did the Flash, I loved that one because no one ever talks about it. Like it's seminal and important, but again, it wasn't overdone. When you're talking about like year one, uh, that kind of stuff, like everyone's talked about it. it. Should be something a little less talked about. I'll throw you a bone. Okay. Um, this is more talked about, but less talked about than some of the ones you mentioned. And I think it's only seventies, not eighties. But we could talk about some of the Steve Englehart Batman because that's some really enjoyable stuff. I just recently read that. Actually, it is really good. You know the craziest part about that um, is at the beginning, at least with Marshall Rogers. Um, you know, they seem to be so in lockstep in terms of, you know, where they are on the creative page. But in reality, um, Steve Englehart knew he was going on vacation to Europe. And so he wrote the script to be airtight, no matter who drew it, because he didn't know who was going to draw it. And then they gave it to Marshall Rogers and it becomes part of the seminal run. But when they first worked together, he just gave us, they were, you know, he gave DC a script that then gave it to him. There was no back and forth. That was a good story, and it's amazing how much they pulled from it. We could do that. Yeah, we could do that. Like that's memorable, but like not everyone's actually read it. No, and they should. It should they be. Should. It should be collected in, in in better ways. I know they got the Steve Englehart hardcover, but it it wasn't. A, I have it in numerous formats, but it it should be something that everyone has on their shelf because it's uh, it's seminal. It really is. Six issues that he was on. It's, yeah, Please. it's very short, and yet, yeah, there's so much there that was pulled from movies. And then they, when they reunited again many years later, they did it. They did it to them again. They were like, "Oh, this look, this could be in movies," and they just strip mined it as well. So, yeah. Um, there's a lot of good stuff. I mean, Englehart's just an amazing writer to begin with, but his Batman is very memorable. So yeah, let's let's read that. Okay. All right. Let's it, do like it. it's identifiable. People know it, but like not everyone's read it. Whereas again, Death in the Family, like I love it. Well. The ending is bananas with some of the stuff with the Joker uh, and diplomatic community, etc. But I also feel like that's so widely known that especially once Jason Todd came back, that it's constantly referenced as a result of any Jason Todd origin or anything about like who he is. They always go back to that. So I feel like it's too big. Okay. All right. Let's do it. I convinced you. Let's do it. Yeah. I, I just that I've read it recently. So maybe I'll. Yeah, that's fine. Is, that, is that good or bad? It's good. It's, I'll be more familiar with it. Yeah, it, well, yeah, because you've already enjoyed it, so now you can really kind of, you know, delve even further into it without, True. you know, it's, it's you're already on your second pass. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll pay more attention to other things that I missed the first time. Okay, good pick. It, it, it's not too long. It's got top-notch art. It's, uh, you know, got a good, good vibe to it, so I think it'll be good. And it ties in really nicely with a lot of the things you get from Batman the Animated Series. 100%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That'll be fun. Okay, let's do it. Adam Chapman, once again, thank you for coming on the show. Always a blast. I am very happy to be here. It's so weird because, uh, I mean, we just kind of dumped right in, but um, you did mention formerly of I forgot to. I was going to. I'm like, <laughs> Adam Chapman, I was going to say that. I go, don't forget to say formally, but maybe that'll be mean. It's all right. You know, people are just going to be like, who's this guy? How's re- rounded up this dude? How how's it? How's retirement from podcasting? Are you enjoying the free time and is it stress free? Uh, it's very weird. Um, 
occasionally I'll read something and I'm like, I'd love to talk to this creator. I'm like, I have no avenue for that anymore. So um, there's yeah, been a couple of times where I'm like, I could reach out to this person. I'm like, no, I can't. Um, so that's weird. It, you know, it's, it's, it's very strange. Um, I don't know if I miss it per se, because yeah, it was something about the grind and I was developing episodes. Um, I mentioned to you over text. Now I, I can tell you again in person um, that there was an episode that you with, did with your wife and you were talking about kind of looking back on the podcast and, you know, as it's grown, et cetera. And I got incredibly emotional, much more emotional than I expected. And I think that was kind of one of the times where it really hit me that, you know, I don't have it anymore. And it was, you know, my wife and I were going to do a segment for the last episode and she felt kind of stressed about it. And she was like, well, how about I'll do a bonus episode with you? I'm like, all right, let's do it. And it hasn't happened yet. And she's on a cruise right now. She's not around. We were at Disney World for a week, a couple of weeks before that. So it just hasn't been a moment for it. Um, but I, I feel like I never really got my kind of nice goodbye with my wife, whereas you kind of got this nice moment with your wife kind of talking about where your podcast had been. I'd have to go back and listen to it. It was something about the first five to ten minutes of that particular episode that I, I was just bowled over with emotion. I was going to bed. I was literally like lying in bed, just kind of put on the podcast so I could – I always put it on a five-minute timer because I usually fall asleep within the first five minutes. Um, and then I, I just found myself so emotional. That's why I texted you almost immediately. I was like, you got me. Like, I don't know what it was. <laughs> And I don't think there was anything that you meant to do. And I don't think there's any, you know, forced sentimentality, but there's something about that moment. Um, I'd have to go back and listen to it now. Um, but I, I was just like overcome with emotion about, you know, no longer having this thing and being happy and, and, and almost jealous that you had this thing still, <laughs> even though I did it for 10 years, like I shouldn't feel that way. Don't and be hearing you talk with your wife about it. And it was just, it was an incredibly emotional moment for me. Um, yeah, it was it was really affecting. It was interesting as well because I'm like I don't usually get that emotional when listening to podcasts. Um, but then you, you something you said really got me. So hats off to you for you know really uh, stabbing me in the heart. <laughs> oh, I didn't I didn't mean to cause pain. I hope it was good no, no, emotion. It, it, was, it was nice, but it, okay. it was it was it was an interesting. Again, it was just something about the time I listened to it. It was dark. I'm going to bed. I think my wife was staying up late working that night, so I was just going to bed alone. And I just thought I'd put on this podcast, and you're just talking with your wife. And then suddenly, I just got you know this 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 overwhelming fount of emotion. It was very interesting. So I, I appreciate um, that you can not only entertain me, you can make me laugh, <laughs> well, you can also make me feel something. Oh, I appreciate that you're that somebody out there is listening, because <laughs> that's the you, that's who you do it for. I'm doing it for Adam Chapman. Absolutely. You know, there were times when I would do my mind where I was like. Eric, Eric will listen to this. I mean, there's been times in our household where I'll say something to Kelly and she'll just look at me blank stare and I'm like, I wish Eric can't be here. <laughs> or well, sometimes she'll say it to me because she'll be like, why can't he be here for you to talk about this book? She's like, I wish Eric Anthony was here, but <laughs> me too. Well, um, we've got uh, perhaps another ske uh, episode scheduled. We have our yearly tradition that we have to make oh, yeah, up that's right? right so you'll be on the show you'll be on the podcast probably another time this month that's exciting or yeah. in october that's the interesting thing too is that hearing you with dave makes me more jealous about it which is so stupid but because i'm because <laughs> i don't have my own podcast anymore i'm like i want to be that guy i want to be the regular host you could but listen I, I don't necessarily think i have time for it but i it just it's interesting because now that i don't have that Again, this my own kind of uh, place to kind of talk comics. Listen to you guys, and kind of more jealous about being part of that group. And I guess I hadn't thought of it for ten years because I had my own. You know, yeah. I, I always had my own thing going, and uh, not having that anymore. You know, I'm on like the outside looking in at this party. 
You're um, not. Was, you're invited. Stop <laughs> it. I was in the party for so long, and I'm outside, and you guys are whooping it up, having a great time. That's right. Um, We're the cool kids here. now. Get out of here, <laughs> Chapman. You didn't invite us in when it was your party. <laughs> That's no. true. I was too busy having Ron friends over. Oh, you dick. Okay, Chapman. You, I, to my supreme sadness, um, this year... Um, my wife and I were supposed to go to Pittsburgh at the first weekend of, in September. Um, and so, and it was, we were supposed to go see the Blue Jays when they were playing uh, the Pirates. And I told Ron that I was going to be coming. And he was like, we well, got to, you know, give me a, shoot, shoot me a line and, you know, we'll get up lunch or whatever. I'm like, oh man, this is going to be amazing. And then as it got closer, I looked it up and there was a, uh, a comic book store in that in that area having a grand opening that was like maybe 20 minutes from PNC Field, and um, uh, and Ron was like one of the guests on the Saturday. I'm like, not not only am I going to be in Pittsburgh, but like I know where Ron's going to be, so I don't have to awkwardly figure out a way to like meet him somewhere. Like I can actually just kind of be show up there and you know introduce myself. I was so excited, and then like two days before, Kelly's like, I'm not feeling well. We can't go, and I'm like, no. I wanted to meet Ron. This is my oh, moment. Like, I don't drive. I can't like if I could drive, I would just drive and go see Ron. But I need you know someone to bring me there, and I was so sad. And then I joked to her that oh, I should have my buddy Nate. We could just drive down for the day and come back. And she was just looked at me like you're not going. And I'm like okay, like that would have been nice. So next year in May, the Jays are supposed to go to Pittsburgh. The plan is we're gonna go. I'm gonna get to meet Ron. Hopefully, I gotta you know email him. Hopefully by then he hasn't forgotten about me. Um, but uh, yeah, hopefully I'll finally get to meet Ron friends next year. I was so bummed because I was so close. You've spent over ten hours with him on podcast. I'm sure he remembers you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I spent at least what four, almost five, talking about a next. Yeah, no one else I don't think anyone has talked to him about that. That's a book. I wish you had it so that we could read that because I would, I would love for you to experience it. It's on Marvel Unlimited, but that doesn't help you. We could. I'm. They're gonna come out with it. Don't worry. They're coming out with everything. They will. A next. I don't yeah. know, man. That's a deep shelf. They'll do it. They come out with everything now. They got Janice Vell's getting a whole omnibus. That was more of a critical sales darling when it was out, though. Like, do you remember you decide? No, no, I don't. Do you know what that is? No, I don't. There was a brief period where they canceled uh, Captain Marvel and they relaunched it as uh, alongside two other books. And the idea was whichever one got the better sales would be the, the book to sort of survive. And wow. it was part of Marvel's You Decide. And one of them was Marvel, which was like a satirical book by, I think, Bill Jemis. Uh, Cap, uh, Gen, uh, Captain Marvel was the other one. And this was, if you look at the Captain Marvel history of Genesis Captain Marvel, you have the main book that went for a while, and then it ends, and you have a relaunch, and he goes, that's the one where he goes batshit crazy. Um, and you know ends up like killing himself and like crazy stuff happens really phenomenal and really pushed the boundaries but it was part of this you decide event which again has now been forgotten in history like do you remember that when the century was first created um, the whole tagline and the way they sold the character was that it was a forgotten state yeah, character that I remember that was dirty, dirty, such dirty. bullshit like, yeah. I, I, I fell for it because everyone was in on it Wizard Magazine was in on it um, you know yeah, I, I look back on it and I'm like, man, we were taken for such chumps. Because you're a chump. I didn't believe it. No, I wasn't reading comics at the time, but I know the story about it and people were pissed. Like, people hate that character because of it. I don't think that's true. Mm. It never, it, it didn't make me change my, my appreciation of the character. I was kind of like, oh man, I would have liked it if it was real. Yeah, I uh, think that's the yeah. thing is that it, it made people invested in it and then it was just like, it was a forced sort of, 
believability. It was an interesting choice for a gimmick to make people read it, right? I like, guess. But again, know, like, gimmicks. Like, people, they get sick of them. But here's the thing. The gimmick only gets you so far. So the gimmick gets you to try the book. But you only keep reading the book if you like the first issue, if you like where they're going. And that series, that original Century miniseries, was fantastic and really interesting and smart with really atmospheric artwork by Jay Lee. So as much as the initial, you know, um, advertising hook to, to get you to give it a shot was a complete crock of shit, at least the story was so strong and so interesting that it, it made me not care that they, you know, duped me with this stupid story um, because I was so invested in that, what they gave me. Uh, I still think that miniseries is fantastic. Uh, it kind of lives on its own as this interesting thing. Then they tried bringing him in, and the character got diluted and changed, and I don't know if they should have done that, but there's something about that original series that's really good. Hmm. Never read it. I read the Jeff Lemire series. Oh, my God. You're so far down. you got to read the original, man. Is it collected anywhere? Um, I could bring it to you. Okay. I'm going to see you soon. Okay. Fair enough. That'll be after... Uh... After we do uh, uh, our, our next book of the month, you can do Century. There, oh, wow. That'll be interesting. Well, Adam Chapman, another one in the books. This is Book of the Month Club, I think, five now. Uh, this was a tough one, but we did it. We did it. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, your Comic Shenanigans episodes, are they still up somewhere? Oh, yeah. They're all up. Um, on, well, not actually. Well, on comicshenanigans.podbean.com, they're all there. Um, on iTunes, the maximum amount you can list there is 999. So technically speaking, I think there's three episodes that do not show up anymore, uh, which is the pilot one and two, um, because I had two non-numbered episodes as well as the thousandth episode. Um, so you'll get most of the entire archives there. Periodically, I check to see if there's still downloads. There still are. Like it's and weird ones too. Like where do you get you those reading... numbers from? From Podbean? Pardon me. From Podbean? That's where you get the numbers from. Well, yeah, like it's yeah, it's hosted through there, so that there's all sorts of numbers on like which episodes are being downloaded, and that's where it's been really interesting is that some weird episodes are being downloaded. Like someone's read, you know, listening to reviews I did from like eight years ago, which, but then there's also interviews that are being downloaded again. That's cool. Which is your most uh, listened to episode? I don't know, and the only reason why I'm going to say that is because something happened once when a few episodes of mine were linked to on the Man Without Fear website. Uh, which is by Kuljit Mithra, who is actually a Toronto native, or GTA native, um, and it's the best uh, Daredevil resource on the web and has been for over 20 years. Um, he put up some links to some of my episodes, and then those episodes had thousands, and I don't think it was all legit. I think there was like weird spam traffic happening there, so it's hard for me to really tell. Um, but I, I guess I would say one of those. Okay. Yeah, I, I try not to pay attention to the numbers, but lately I've been getting more interested into it because I don't, I want to know what you're doing right and try to continue that. But then you also are like, is this going to affect what I really want to do, which is the whole point of this anyways. So it's one of those things. But if they can listen to your episodes, go and check them out. There's a lot of great interviews on there with some uh, creators, writers, artists that you can't find their interviews anywhere else. So definitely check out Comic Shenanigan Podcast for all the archived interviews. There's a thousand to, to pick from. Uh, and follow us, Cave of Solitude, on Instagram. Rate and review us. It does help. Like, I don't know who out there is listening, but when you do rate and review us, it helps. And we appreciate it. So thank you. Uh, I'm Eric Anthony, Adam Chapman. We will be back soon. Stay tuned, everybody.